Uh, my greeting to you all, good morning. It's a joy to be worshiping together in the presence of the Lord and in each other's presence also. Uh, let's turn now and hear God speak to us. Exodus 17 is our Old Testament reading this morning. Exodus 17, the first seven verses. Let's hear God's word. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And our New Testament reading is Matthew 16, 1 through 12. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, uh, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we've taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves, because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? nor the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray now and ask him to bless it to our hearts. Our gracious God, your word is the most precious and valuable thing this world affords. There is nothing of greater value than your word, for in your word 
we see our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Mediator. In Your Word, we see ourselves in our need for such a Savior. And in Your, Lord, your Word, Lord, we, we read of the, the way of salvation that You open to us in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray now that You would uh, uh, show our hearts the worth of Christ and press Your Word upon us. Lord, let no heart here be hardened against You. But Lord, by Your sovereign grace, uh, op- open us all to receive it and to trust You and to follow You. Lord, we pray that You would uh, be with the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, for You are our rock and our Redeemer. We ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, doubt is very common in the Christian life. Struggling with doubt of some form or another, it comes in, in all kinds of forms. Um, you can doubt the goodness of God. You can be going through a hardship, some kind of difficulty, uh, some kind of suffering, and you doubt that God is good to you in that. And uh, sometimes you can doubt the wisdom of God in these same sorts of situations. Uh, we think we could know better, right? That, that our wisdom would not have had this order out, this, have this work out this way. How can God, who is infinite in wisdom, really be wise if, if these things around me are, are happening? Uh, we, can, we, can, we can doubt sometimes as we're reading God's Word, can't we? Uh, you're, you're reading along and you come across something challenging, right? That doesn't seem to, to line up with, with something else I read in God's Word, right? How, how do I understand this? Is this really the infallible Word of God? Uh, preserved over so many millennia, uh, so many, so many, so many centuries, and uh, can, is this really reliable? We have doubts in these ways. We can doubt the, the love of God for us, as well, or the assurance that our sins really are forgiven. Sometimes you may doubt the existence of God altogether. Feel like your prayers are just going nowhere, bouncing off the ceiling. That He isn't really there. He isn't really hearing you. Um, and, and when you feel that way, it feels like the bottom drops out beneath you, doesn't it? Um, uh, you feel a pit in your stomach uh, and, and a fear and, and uh, not, nothing is supporting you anymore um, when, when, you're, when you're struggling with doubts like these. Love was, doubt is a very real thing in the Christian life. In every Christian life, of some form or another, we're all wrestling with doubt. Um, in the passage before us, Jesus takes a hard look at doubt. He's diagnosing doubt here. Uh, he, confronts, he confronts doubt or unbelief at two levels in the text. He, he first, he, he confronts the willful unbelief, the chosen doubt of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and, and they're, 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 they're willful in their blindness to him. They're squeezing their eyes tightly shut, as tight as they can, because they do not want to see, trust, or believe. They are willfully suppressing and ignoring the overwhelming evidence and, uh, of who Jesus is and, and what his kingdom is about. They approach Jesus not with uh, trust, but with a test. And second, we also see Jesus here confronting his disciples' doubt, their unbelief, which is not so much a, a willful uh, a thing, perhaps, as, as, as the Pharisees and Sadducees, but it's, a, it's this default mode they have of, of, of doubting him, not, not remembering who he is, not remembering what he can do, not remembering what his kingdom is about, just kind of coasting, not paying attention, and, and, and getting a, a slouchy faith, right? Kind of slumped in your chair. Not, not alert, awake, paying attention to Jesus. 
in his kingdom. The, the unbelief of the Pharisees and Sadducees, their willful blindness, seems to be bleeding over and affecting somewhat the disciples, uh, their, their way of thinking. And both of these tendencies, loved ones, towards unbelief are a danger to us as well. Jesus is giving us a warning in this passage about unbelief and about doubt. He's calling us to, uh, he, he's calling out our, our unbelief. He's calling us to, to trust him with all our heart, uh, to repent of our doubts. He, he confronts us over these things. He exposes the, the, the lack of faith that we have, but then he also draws us to himself and shows us that he is the one who's sufficient for us. And he's the answer to all the doubts and the questions. Uh, he is patient with little faiths like us. This is what we see in the text this morning, brothers and sisters. Let's unpack this uh, together now. First, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. See the signs of the times. See the signs of the times. We see the religious leaders of Jesus' day again are coming at him. Uh, over and over, we've seen this throughout the last several chapters in Matthew's Gospel. They are approaching Jesus, and they already have their minds made up about him. They've, they've made their judgment. He is the enemy, and they are not coming to learn from him. They're coming to fight him. They're coming to test him. There's such a contrast here, isn't there? Chapter 15. Last week we saw uh, chapter 15, and we saw the Canaanite woman. All right, how does she come to Jesus? Son of David, have mercy on me. The Gentile crowds, how do they come to Jesus? Right, Lord, they, they, they bring their, their sick and their, their hurting and their suffering to him for healing. They worship and glorify the God of Israel. Uh, they stand in awe of his pity and his power. Right, that's, that's what we're seeing in chapter 50 of how people are, are coming to Jesus. With trust and faith. The last people in the world you'd expect to be coming to him with trust and faith. And they're, they're believing him because of his grace. Um, but now here come the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those who should be first in line to trust and to accept him. And they are, uh, they are the first in line to resist him. Now, it's interesting that Matthew brings up both groups here, Pharisees and Sadducees, together. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees did not get along with each other. They did not like each other. They did not agree on, on, on things in their theology. Um, it's sort of like uh, Republicans and Democrats getting along together and, and teaming up to do something together, right? They're these pretty strongly opposed groups. And so it tells us that they are both so set against Jesus, it's enough for them to overcome those significant differences and come to test Jesus together. They come, it says, the text says, to test him. The word in the Greek is the same word that is used of the devil tempting Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Right, this is a satanic mission they're on. Right? They're, they're not coming with honest questions. Right? Honest, you know, you know doubts they're struggling with about, about they just haven't seen enough evidence yet. Uh, they're, they're not in a position of neutrality. They're coming to Jesus joining Satan's side testing, trying to, trying to expose him and, and bring him down. Um, Jesus sees, uh, sees right through this. They ask him for a sign from heaven, um, a sign to show, him, uh, to show them conclusively, once for all, that he is who he says that he is. Um, Jesus responds, doesn't immediately directly answer their request. He, he sees that they're coming to test him, not to trust and he, uh, he answers them like this in verses 2 through 4. Listen to how he responds. He says this, 
when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus says, you know how to forecast the weather, right? You can look at the sky and say, red sky at night, sailor's delight. It's going to be nice tomorrow. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. It's going to be bad weather, right? You, you, you know that. You've got that earthly wisdom, but you are blind and you are ignorant to, to the, the heavenly realities that are, that are being shown to you, the signs of the times, as, as Jesus says. What are these signs of the times that Jesus says they're, they're missing? Um, he said, God gave you in the Old Testament a forecast of what the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah in the last days would be like. He told you what to expect, and we see this in the Old Testament. All these prophecies talking about the coming of the Messiah. Matthew's burden in his gospel has been to shine a spotlight on those signs of the times that were forecasted in the Old Testament or now are coming true in Christ. We've seen this. His whole, Matthew's whole project has been to structure his gospel to show this. Two things, right? Uh, he's shown us uh, that, that Jesus is distinguished by his teaching ministry, his great authority, um, uh, and also this healing ministry. Uh, we see this in the Old Testament, this promise of a prophet who will come, like Moses, but even greater than Moses, who will be the authoritative speaker and the one who reveals God's word. We read this in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And then the Lord promises in Isaiah 11, verse 2, that the Messiah will be the one with... Uh, unsurpassed wisdom and authority. Isaiah 11 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so Matthew, all along in his Gospel, he keeps showing us these great sermons Jesus is preaching and this teaching that he's, that he, that he's giving. And, and people are saying, no one ever spoke like this man. Even Jesus' opponents are saying that. As we read in John chapter 7, 46, people are saying, he has authority like we've never seen or heard before. Sign of the times. The great teacher has come. The Old Testament also promises that he'll be the king of peace, doesn't it? He's going to bring healing. He's going to bring life. He's going to bring peace and wholeness and, and blessing. We see this all over. All right, Another great text here is Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Every page of Matthew's Gospel has been showing that Jesus is fulfilling this sign of the times. He's healing. He's, he, he, with a word, with a touch, He's healing. He's setting people free from their burdens of sin and their suffering. And He's, he's, bringing, he's bringing life and peace all around. And, and so Jesus is saying, you've got the signs of the times all around you. These are all the things that God has promised would be happening, and they're all happening. It's not as though he hasn't done enough miracles or preached enough sermons. It's not as though he's been opaque. He's, he's, been, he's, been, he's been clear with what he's doing. There is absolutely no lack of evidence staring the Pharisees and Sadducees in the face that Jesus is here and His kingdom is here and He's the Christ. 
So they are not innocently, there's just not enough evidence yet. Right? No, they see it, but they're shutting their eyes and they hate him for it because he is not the Christ that they wanted. But this is why, as Jesus goes on to kind of push back on their tempting, their testing of him, as he pushes back, he says to them in verse 4, he calls them a wicked and adulterous generation. That language is evocative of God's word about Israel in the wilderness generation. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 1, verse 35, God labels the generation coming out of Egypt under Moses an evil generation. They're called that several times in, in Deuteronomy. What did they see? They saw the plagues rain down on Egypt. Greatest nation at that time just, just laid low before the almighty power of God and they had nothing to do with it, right? They just watched God liberate them. He brings them through the Red Sea. He's providing for them in the wilderness. They see manna from heaven. They don't lack evidence at all for what God is doing and who He is, right? They lack faith. They're stubbornly unbelieving. We saw in Exodus 17, they complain. They contend with God. They test God. Is God with us or not? Prove it, right? As though God has not already done more than they could ever have asked for to show them His love and His care and His presence and His salvation. They look on God with suspicion and doubt. And, and, and Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and He's saying to them, you are doing exactly the same thing as that generation was. Except it's even worse. Because this isn't the type of the salvation to come. The type of the Christ to come. This is the Christ. This is the salvation the Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven itself is, is coming and, and they see it and they reject it. And he, he points out why. He puts his finger right on it, doesn't he? He says, he says because of your... You, you, he says you're, you're an evil and adulterous generation. Why does he use that word? Why does he say you're an evil and adulterous generation? It's not because the Pharisees and Sadducees are all being unfaithful to their spouses. He's saying, your hearts are stubbornly loving yourselves and your own interests rather than the Lord. This is what's underneath their unbelief. Self-love, worship of self, and, and, and the things of self, the idols that they are hanging on to instead of, instead of bowing to the Lord. They are, they are spiritual prostitutes. And uh, Jesus is putting his finger on the heart of their unbelief, he's also putting his finger on the heart of our unbelief and our doubts, too. We don't doubt, loved ones, because there just isn't enough evidence. We doubt because we don't want to surrender everything we are to Jesus Christ. We don't doubt because, well, there's just it hasn't been proved to me. We doubt because... We love ourselves more than we love Him. See this in St. Augustine, one of the great early church fathers, and the struggle that he talks about of his own conversion. He felt the compelling tug of the truth of the Christian faith, but he did not want to surrender. He had a mistress. He had a chance at ambition and, 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 and fame and effort for, for his career, and he didn't want to give that up. 
He had uh, uh, an adulterous heart. Our sinful desires make us not want to see Christ and not want to see His kingdom. Uh, we, we sometimes think that um, our intellectual commitments are just based on, on reason alone, uh, but, but they're not. Uh, we Deep down, our, our doubts are because of our idolatrous hearts. We don't want to give up our autonomy to Him. And this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees are doing. Um, and, and this is what we also do, loved ones, and, and when we doubt Him. And so Jesus... Uh, tells them, he goes on to tell them they would not, uh, he would not give them the sign they're asking for. They don't really want to see a sign. Uh, they are just demanding that he prove himself to them. Um, and so he is saying, you're here to test me, not trust me, so no. There's only going to be one more sign. What is the sign? He points us to this verse 4. He says, um, no sign shall be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Um, what is this sign he's talking about here? Uh, in the Old Testament, of course, I'm sure you know the story well. Jonah, three days in the belly of the fish, right? He's thrown overboard uh, for running away from God and trying to resist God's call. He spends three days in the belly of the fish, and then he's brought out, uh, and then he goes to Nineveh and fulfills God's commandments to him after that. Um, and no doubt that is what may have given some of the force to his message as he preached to Nineveh, calling them, that, uh, warning them of the judgment to come. This man has just been uh, brought back to life, as it were, from, from the sea, from, 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 this, from the belly of this fish. Uh, so they repented. Um, but Jesus is, is, is pointing them to this uh, instance in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah, and he's telling them that they're going to see what that was a picture of, the reality that that was a picture of, uh, his own death and his own resurrection. Um, He's telling them that the greatest sign of all for who the Messiah is, who the Christ is, uh, is, uh, is the Christ who is crucified and dead and buried in the tomb for three days and then rises again. This is counter to everything that they imagined for the Messiah. This is not what they wanted from the Messiah. Uh, they wanted a great, victorious Messiah leading them on in victory uh, uh, in, a, in a temporal kingdom, uh, this worldly kingdom. Uh, but Jesus is saying, no, the Old Testament is not giving you that kind of Messiah. The Old Testament promises a suffering servant, a humbled Messiah, then, then exalted. This is the great and final sign that is going to proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus' death and then his resurrection. Will they have eyes to see it and a heart humble enough to accept this, this sign? Uh, now, loved ones, uh, we have seen this, right? We, we have seen Christ in the Gospels. We've seen His death, His burial, His resurrection for us. The great sign of the times. He is the Christ, promised. The kingdom has begun. The end of the ages uh, has arrived. And uh, so we need to discern that. Pay attention to it. See it. Not be blind to it. Um, he is calling us. Jesus is calling us, loved ones. Over, instead of doubting, uh, instead of, instead of uh, uh, shutting our eyes to him and refusing to look at him and refusing to surrender to him, he's calling us to look at who he is as the great Messiah who's crucified for your sins and risen for your resurrection. And Jesus is, is calling you to study him, to see him, see who he is, see what he's doing. And not just in an intellectual way or an abstract way, but to follow after him. 
trust in Him. How do you do this? How do, how, how do, we, uh, how, how do we do this, loved ones? Um, we can't do it on our own, can we? Um, an adulterous heart can't just stop being an adulterous heart. A doubting heart can't just stop being a doubting heart. We need the grace of God for this. So pray. Humble yourself before the Lord and ask Him to grant you the Holy Spirit that you might trust Him and have your eyes open to Him and that you might come to know Him. Loved ones, we can easily, um, we, we can forget we need to go on in this, right? This, this, is, this is what we go on in day by day in the Christian life. We can think, well, 15 years ago I did that. I prayed and the Lord opened my eyes to see Jesus, who he is and what his kingdom means for me. Um, but we need to go on in this. It's all too easy to drift from that and go back to walking by faith, sight and, and not by faith. And this is what we see in the disciples in the next uh, section of the text here. Uh, we see the disciples and Jesus warning us here to be constantly on guard against this way of, of, uh, of, of doubting him. So verses 5 to 12, now let's turn our attention there. Uh, the second point, stay alert to unbelief. Uh, after, after Jesus confronts the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he and his disciples get in the boat. They again are heading out across the lake. Um, and as they leave the Pharisees and Sadducees behind, Jesus warns them uh, to beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says. And they completely misunderstand him. They think he's talking about yeast, about bread, uh, because they're hungry. They forgot to bring bread. They're, hard, they're, they're hungry, and that's all they can think about is, is literal leaven and literal bread. And Jesus, he hears them talking about this, and, and he again um, calls them this term we've seen before. He calls them little faiths, right? Oh, you of, of little faith. Um, they still don't understand him. He reminds them, you just saw me do a great miracle of bread. 4,000 people fed with a few loaves. You just saw me before that do a miracle, a same, same thing, uh, 5,000 men with, with just a few loaves. Um, and he said to them, didn't you understand what I was doing there? It wasn't about the bread. The bread was pointing to something else. The bread was pointing to Christ um, and, and who he is and how he is the one who gives life and he's the one who spreads the, be- the bread of the messianic feast. Um, uh, but they, they didn't realize these things because they have this default setting of doubt and unbelief, of missing the heavenly things that he's saying to them um, and missing these spiritual realities. They, they can't see past the metaphor he's using. Um, Jesus' words about yeast about leaven, are about false teaching. But Jesus isn't rough or harsh with them. He calls them little face and he, he repeats what he said and he leads them into an understanding of what he's saying, that he is warning them against the false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, against, against doctrine, false doctrine. Um, how seriously do you take Christ's warning here? This warning about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, our age doesn't take teaching or doctrine very seriously. Uh, uh, we have a tendency to think that it's not what we believe so much as what we do that really matters. But Jesus sees those two things as completely intertwined. Um, and he's giving us an important warning here, uh, loved ones. I want to draw out two things here that should make us listen to what Jesus is saying very carefully about this warning. Uh, first of all, notice the word picture that he uses for this false teaching, this false doctrine. He compares it to leaven or, or yeast. How much yeast does it take to work through the whole dough when you're making flour, uh, when, you, when you're mixing it with flour to make bread? Right? Not, not much, right? Just, just a little bit. 
just a tablespoon for a couple of loaves. Um, uh, and uh, uh, the, what's, what's the point of the, the metaphor? How much false teaching does it take to spread through a heart and corrupt the whole heart? How much false teaching does it take to spread through a church, corrupt a whole church? Right? Just, just, just a little error in doctrine, just a little falsehood, a little hypocrisy like the Pharisees had, just a little ignorance or misunderstanding about Jesus and his kingdom is all it takes. It can spread, and it will spread if it's not taken care of. So that should be a warning that we should pay attention to, right? doesn't take much. Be on guard against false teaching, false doctrine. And secondly, also, as I was thinking about this, how seriously you take a warning so often depends on who's giving you the warning, doesn't it? If, if, if a little kid runs up to you, it gives you a warning that something's really dangerous. Okay, maybe. What if a Navy SEAL ran up to you and said, something's really dangerous? You take it a little differently, right? Um, how seriously should we take it when our Lord Jesus Christ gives us a warning? Who is he? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He understands better than anybody else what endangers a soul and what, what, where, where the real dangers are. So, loved ones, um, he knows better than anyone what, what, what could harm you uh, forever. So pay attention when he warns you. Um, how do we take this to heart for us, ourselves? We need to understand what he's warning against. He particularly points out, we, we take this warning in anything, right? False teaching of any kind, anything that doesn't line up with the scriptures, we should be on guard against that and always ready to be alert against that. But Jesus in particular is pointing us to the false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What does he have in mind? Um, we, could, we could draw any number of things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, seem to be getting wrong. Uh, the Sadducees, for example, denied the resurrection of the dead. Um, uh, and that's a dangerous and deadly thing to believe. The Pharisees, they're self-righteous. Uh, they're, they're, they're piling on external laws after external laws, and they're making their tradition more important than the law of God. Uh, they, 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 are, they love their status. They love their position. Uh, they're not looking out for the poor and the suffering around them. Um, they, 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 they're hypocrites. And Jesus may have in mind any one of those things or all or, or more of those things that we could unpack about the false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those are all things that he does address at some point in the Gospels. Um, but to understand precisely the point he's making here, I think we need to look right at the present context and what the Pharisees and Sadducees have just done that he's warning against for us. Um, what did they just do? Well, they came, eyes shut. They came suspicious. They came testing, not trusting, um, refusing to bow to him, refusing to have him as their king and their savior, refusing to cry out to him for mercy, acknowledging their sin. There's two sides to this unbelief that we see in them. One side is doctrine, right? Uh, they are denying who Jesus is. They're denying that he is the, 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 the king, that he is the Messiah. Um, so, loved ones, we need to be careful against that. Don't deny who Jesus is. Know who he is. Trust who he is. Be a student in the school of Christ. Study Christ. Study his kingdom. Study his word. This, this means coming to the sermons ready to, to, to study and learn. Uh, coming, coming to Sunday school the same way. In your own time, in God's word, week by week, you're a follower, a disciple, a student of Jesus. You need to study him to know who he is. 
and all that you can about him so that you're on guard against what is not true about him. The second side, though, is, is practical or perhaps better, personal. Um, the Pharisees and Sadducees' greatest failure was not just that they didn't uh, study Jesus enough, but they didn't, they didn't surrender to him. They didn't follow him. They didn't, they didn't give their hearts to him in love and, and, and uh, seek to follow him uh, with, with all their hearts. And as Jesus gives this warning uh, to his disciples here, loved ones, remember, of the twelve, uh, not all of them do take this warning to heart. Um, one of them is going to show very soon they didn't pay attention to Jesus' warning. Judas, right? He thinks he knows who Jesus is. He is already, he would profess faith in, in, in Christ, I think, uh, at this point in Matthew's gospel. Um, but he does not yet really understand uh, or really trust him. He has an idea of what he wants Jesus to be. But as soon as it turns out that that's not who Jesus is, he's going to be done and he's going to betray Jesus. Um, so, loved ones, stay alert. Stay alert in your walk with the Lord. Be on guard against every influence that might pull you away from trusting in Christ and be aware of the things that make you feel, uh, tempt you to be lazy and negligent in, in following Christ. This doesn't mean, of course, relying on yourself and your own understanding right, um, to, to deal with your doubts. Um, Jesus, as we, as we see here, is patient with disciples and he leads them on uh, in, in faith as we see in the text before us. His response throughout the Gospels over and over, he draws out their unbelief and their doubt. He says, little faiths, right? But then he, he leads them into, in, into greater faith and he, he draws their attention over and over where? To himself, right? Constantly drawing our attention to himself. It's just wonderfully put in John 14. You believe in, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He continues to say, don't look at, uh, don't, don't look away because then you will start to doubt. Keep your eyes fixed firmly on me. This is his answer to doubt and unbelief. Tim Keller has said that God has not so much given us a watertight argument as a watertight person. Um, the reason we believe in Christ is not so much because of a watertight argument, but just because of Jesus, because of who he is. Uh, he himself is the answer to the unbelief and the spiritual drowsiness. Seeing him more, seeing his life for you, seeing his, his, his obedience to his Father for you, and his love for you, displayed, seeing the pity that he has, as we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew together. His great compassion, unending compassion for the, for the, for the, for the crowds. Uh, seeing, seeing his power to save and heal and work. Um, seeing his death for you. That he gave himself out of great love for you to be your substitute on the cross. Seeing him rise from the dead for you. Seeing him ascend to heaven and reign as king for you. Right? These are the things your heart needs in answer to its doubts. An answer to the, the struggles of, of unbelief. Right? Linger there, loved one. Let your eyes stay long on Christ and fill your heart with who He is. Right? That's the solution. He is the answer to the struggle to trust. It's, you, need to, you need to see more of Him. So take, take, take the words of um, Mark 9.24 to Him in prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes to see Him and to give your heart to love Him. Study Him. 
Get to know Him. Uh, walk with Him. Listen to His Word. Take it to heart. Make it the great business of your life to know Him and walk with Him. And follow Him and live in fellowship with Him. And loved ones, as you do, He will graciously reveal Himself to you and give you eyes to see Him more and more and a heart to love and trust Him. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself and our salvation so fully and sufficiently in Him. Lord, give us eyes to see and hearts to trust in our Lord Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.